Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Isn't it amazing how criminals were caught before the world of technology and, and social media and, and all that good stuff, right? Before you could uh, watch a global news station and see a video of whoever the most wanted criminal might be, right? Long before the viral reach of social media, if you wanted to catch the worst criminals, you'd have to rely on one of them good, old-fashioned, wanted posters. Now, there are some that are really popular. You remember these, right? So here's a most wanted poster for that famed 19th century outlaw, Jesse James. So after the Civil War, Jesse and his brother uh, were involved in a, in a few gangs that were responsible for robbing banks, robbing stagecoaches, and robbing trains. And then it was another outlaw, actually, who relied on this wanted poster to be able to identify who Jesse James is, and then he shot him in the back of the head and collected the money. Uh, then there's another famous wanted poster, this reward and poster. See, this one includes the photos and details of the three men who were responsible with the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. So in the bottom of this one highlights, uh, you can't, you won't be able to read it, but it highlights different uh, features or, or uh, distinguishing marks or aspects of each of those wanted criminals. Things like height, complexion, hair color, build, shape, things like that. And then the hunt for these three men is actually became the largest manhunt in the United States. And thanks to the posters, they were able to catch two of the three men within a month. Now, even today, some law enforcement agencies use social media as like a, a digital outlet for uh, today's most wanted people. In fact, there's uh, one example uh, down in the sheriff's department down in Florida they post on their Facebook page once a week what they call a wanted of the week image. So this is what the uh, people posted uh, on their, uh, the sheriff's department posted that picture. And the man who was most wanted happened to be on Facebook and saw that the sheriff's department posted his picture. So he got the bright idea to make the sheriff's department most wanted photo his own profile picture. And he was obviously caught when the police quickly caught on to that. Even one small business kind of adapted their own version of a, a most wanted poster. Uh, there was a, a burglar who broke into a bakery after hours and stole the cash drawer. So the bakery owner grabbed a snapshot from the security footage and made the guy's image into sugar cookies. 
And then they post it on their Facebook. We have free sugar cookies until the thief is caught. So needless to say, that was actually pretty successful. They were able to catch the robber um, because the, uh, he was eventually identified and, and brought to justice. See, in much the same way, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, whose letter we've been studying, he holds up before the church a wanted poster. That's what he's going to do in these next verses. His wanted poster, though, isn't for bank robbers. It's not for murderers. His wanted poster uh, isn't even for bakery bandits. His wanted poster is for false teachers. Because across the face of the wanted poster, it says, wanted false teachers. See, his poster is one for these wolves, these false believers who were sneaking, creeping their way into the church and they were leading others astray. These uh, false teachers looked like sheep. They dressed like sheep. They knew how to talk the language that the sheep talked. They knew the culture on how how they need to act in front of certain people at certain times, but they were actually wolves disguised as sheep. So this morning, in the next passage we're going to look at, in Jude 5 through 16, Jude is going to sound the warning to us. And his warning are these three words. Beware the wolves. Beware the wolves. Jude is going to say, keep watch for those wolves, those ones who dress in sheep's clothing, that they're, they're false teachers, they're apostates, ones who have turned away from the faith. They're deceptive, they're dangerous, and their end is death. Beware the wolves. So this morning we're in our second week of our four-week series uh, through the New Testament book of Jude in a series that we've titled, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Now, last week we looked at the opening four verses of Jude's little letter, uh, where we learned that God has enlisted us into his heavenly army and he's entrusted us with the incredible privilege and mission of protecting and guarding the sacred treasure of the gospel. So let's review those opening four verses. Listen as I read Jude 1 through 4. Jude writes this. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude throughout his letter, urges the church to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith, to wrestle, to grapple for the faith. Why? Why is this his emphasis here? It's because people snuck in. False teachers crept in. They came in unnoticed. And we have these kinds of people in our day too. They could even be friends, mentors, small group leaders, your favorite Christian author, or your favorite Christian influencer, or YouTuber, or podcaster. 
Which begs the question then, if these are ones who creep in and, and sneak in and go in unnoticed, how can we even identify them? Hence, Jude's wanted poster, urging us to beware the wolves. So as we make our way through verses 5 through 16 in Jude, Jude's going to provide for us four distinguishing features of these wolves. He's going to do this by using a bunch of different examples, and he's going to, he'll make his point using uh, people and places from the Old Testament, and he's also going to reference uh, some other uh, ancient uh, writings outside of the scripture. And heads up though, Jude uh, is going to pack a powerhouse of a punch. Um, there's a lot he's going to say in these verses, and we're going to try cruising through it. Um, so he's going to pull a lot of different references. He has a lot, a lot, a lot to say about these uh, false teachers. Um, so uh, here's a little plug for the Bayside Chapel app. If you don't have the app, go download it. If you have the app, open it up, and you'll want to follow along in the notes there because there's a more comprehensive outline, um, all the subpoints, everything that Jude is going to say. You'll see it in that outline uh, on the notes, the Bayside Chapel app. Click on the sermon notes. Um, what you'll see up here is just a, a truncated um, outline. So definitely in encourage that because note-taking is good. It forces you to focus, forces me to focus when I take notes, um, and it aids my learning. So... I definitely uh, recommend that. So first thing now Jude is going to remind us of in the first three verses of our passage, verses 5, 6, and 7, is the destiny. He's going to tell us about the destiny of these false teachers who have infiltrated the church. So Jude is going to tell us, beware the wolves, for they are destined for total defeat. They are destined for total defeat. Defeat. In verses 5 through 7, Jude's going to use three examples from history, three examples of failure from history, to emphasize just how great the consequences of sin really are. Look at verse 5. He says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So for his first lesson from history... Jude is reaching back to the Old Testament, and he's reminding his readers of the time when God redeemed Israel from their bondage in Egypt. They were in Egypt, in slavery, for 400 years, and then God liberated the people. Yet, most of them, once they exited Egypt, and as they were getting ready to approach Canaan, the promised land, they went around grumbling. They went around complaining. They went around refusing to believe that God was actually going to make good on his promise to bring them into the promised land. So instead of having a bunch of unbelieving apostates inhabit the promised land, God waits for that generation to die off in the wilderness. So Jude is reminding whatever false teachers are listening that the Savior can also be the destroyer, right? That their unbelief is going to end in destruction. The end for unbelief is always destruction. What you believe about Jesus is one of the most important things about you. So their unbelief will end in destruction. Verse 6, Jude goes on, he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. 
So to further drive home his point that these false teachers were destined for total defeat, Jude cites here a second example from history. Now, Jude's likely commenting on a particular interpretation of a story in Genesis uh, 6 where we read of the sons of God having sexual relations with, uh, with women. Now, Jewish tradition held that these sons of God were actually um, a race of fallen angels, uh, angels who rebelled, angels who didn't stay put where God had placed them. They weren't content, right? They, instead, they came to earth to have sexual relations with women, and ultimately, uh, they met God's judgment. Now, Jude's point here in all of this is that rebellion always leads to judgment. The same way unbelief always leads to destruction, rebellion always leads to judgment. The angels wanted something more. Right? They wanted a different position. They wanted a, a better status. They wanted what they wanted. And apparently, many of these false teachers did too. Right? They weren't content with serving where God put them. They weren't content with submitting to God's authority and his will and his ways, so they rebelled in unbelief, and they rebelled in pride, and their end is also judgment. So if the highest beings, the highest created beings, the angels, the highest created beings known in creation, if they were subject to God's judgment, how much more will these sinful false teachers be subject to his judgment? Their unbelief ends in destruction. Their rebellion ends in judgment. Now, evidently, the false teachers of Jude's day, they felt liberated and free enough to practice immorality and to engage in, in sexual immorality and perversion. So what better example then to prove his point than for Jude to pull from the Old Testament cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And this is where Jude's third example comes from in verse 7. He says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. See, Sodom and Gomorrah were once beautiful, lush, earthly paradises, right? but they grew so wicked that their names became synonymous with sin and with depravity. They were murderers. They were um, they were oppressors. They oppressed the poor. They oppressed the needy. They inflicted so much suffering, and they reveled in, in all kinds of, uh, of heterosexual sin and homosexual sin. And what was their punishment? Well, if you remember the story from Genesis, their punishment was fire, actual fire from heaven, right? That turned these garden-like cities into wasteland reminders of the consequences of sin. So what's Jude's point in all of this? He's reiterating the point he's been making. This time he's saying their immorality is going to end in eternal punishment. He's telling the wolves here that the fire that burned up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they're eventually going to eternally burn against them so long as they continue to disregard God and rebel against his will and his ways. So three different ways Jude makes the point to tell us to beware the wolves for they're destined for total defeat. Their unbelief ends in destruction. Their rebellion ends in judgment and their immorality ends in eternal punishment. So 
That's his first distinguishing feature. Then he goes on in verses 8 to 10. And Jude now provides a second distinguishing feature of these false teachers. The second one is this, that they disregard divine authority. Jude's telling us, look for those who disregard divine authority. Beware those wolves. Verse 8. He says, yet in like manner, these people also, referring to the false teachers, relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So Jude is applying uh, to these false teachers in the church everything that he just illustrated, right? That the pride and the self-righteousness of the unbelieving Israelites and the pride and the self-righteousness of these rebellious angels and the pride and the self-righteousness of uh, the immoral Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And that, they are not that different from the pride, and the self-righteousness of the false teachers in the church. We're told that these false teachers rely on their dreams, meaning they dream up their own faith, right? They appeal to their own dreams, their own imaginations, their own visions, their own revelations as the ultimate source and authority for revelation. And they use it as a means of excusing immoral behavior. So these false teachers dream up their own faith. And then Jude tells us that they're also ones who defile their bodies. They dream up their own faith and they defile their bodies. These false teachers were likely uh, encouraging other Christians to participate in these certain pagan festivals where they would engage in sexual immorality. Like the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, they follow wherever their sinful desires are taking them. They dream up their own faith they defile their bodies. And then verse 8 also reveals that these people despise authority. They despise authority. They reject authority, as Jude says. So these are false teachers who posture themselves up above the apostles. They posture themselves up above the elders and the pastors. They posture themselves up even above the authority of the word of God. See, they are an authority to themselves. They think no one is going to tell me how to live. No one is going to tell me what to think. Not even God. They reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. And then in verse 9, Jude goes on and he applies this reality by citing an example from an ancient book uh, that's known as uh, the Assumption of Moses or the Testimony of Moses. Now in this writing, the story is told that when Moses died, Satan wanted his body. Right? He, he claimed that the body of Moses belonged to him because, after all, Moses was a murderer. Well, according to the story, though, uh, even the great angel, the archangel Michael, who could have resisted Satan and probably held him off, even he chose to leave the matter to God. Verse 9 says, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. See, Michael had every reason to expose Satan's lies, but even then, he didn't dare bring a slanderous accusation against him. Michael, instead of resting in his own authority, instead of using his own authority, he left the matter to God, simply by saying, the Lord rebuke you, meaning it's not my authority, it's his. Jesus rebuke you, 
He didn't rely on his own power or his own authority. So Jude's really hoping that we're going to understand that even if a powerful angel of God didn't dare speak blasphemy or judgment on God's behalf, then neither should those false teachers claim to speak for God, a God that they know nothing about. Verse 10, he says, But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So the point that Jude is making here is that on top of everything else, these false teachers, on top of everything else they already are, add to that arrogance and ignorance. They're arrogant and they're ignorant. They dream up their own faith. They defile their bodies. They despise authority and they drip with ignorance. They drip with ignorance and arrogance. See, these false teachers claim to possess a superior knowledge, something special, something secret, a secret revelation, something that, that only was revealed to them that gave them authority. And they considered to be uh, the only ones who could truly understand God. Yet by their slander and by their lifestyles and by their unbelief, they're nothing more than extremely arrogant and profoundly ignorant. So Jude warns us to beware the wolves. Beware the wolves, for they're destined for total defeat. Beware the wolves, for they disregard divine authority. And that's what Jude's saying. He's saying, hey, you want to know what to look for? To identify who these wolves among you are? Look for those who make up their own counterfeit faith based on some special revelation. Look for those who live a promiscuous lifestyle. Look for those who don't submit to authority. Look for those who don't believe the scripture is the word of God. Look for those who don't submit to the authority of the local church. And look for those who drip with pride and arrogance. And in verse 11, Jude goes on and he reveals, uh, he reveals a, a third distinguishing feature of these false teachers. So they're destined for total defeat. They disregard divine authority. And here's the third one. They are morally depraved. They are morally depraved. Jude says, beware the wolves for they are morally depraved. Verse 11, woe to them for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So there's one verse, and Jude is calling attention to three Old Testament examples in order to prove the moral depravity that characterizes the false teachers, not only of his generation, but of any generation. So about them, he says, first, they walked in the way of Cain. What does that mean? Well, Jude is telling us here that these false teachers are marked by hate. They're marked by hate. You remember that Cain murdered his brother out of vengeful jealousy. Right? So the way of Cain is the way of hate. The way of Cain is the way of murder. The way of Cain is the, the way of jealousy and anger and disobedience. And just as Cain murdered his brother, Jude is saying these false teachers are murdering people's souls. Like Cain, the false teachers were defying 
God's authority and they were acting out of sinful passion. They're marked by hate. And then a second thing Jude says about them in this verse is that they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. So these were false teachers were following in the footsteps of Balaam. Now, Balaam was a, a man in the Old Testament who led many people astray. He was, um, uh, in the Old Testament, what you read is that there's a, a pagan king uh, who hired this prophet named Balaam, and he hired the prophet named Balaam so Balaam could curse the Israelites, curse God's uh, children. So in return for some money, Balaam taught the children of Israel how to sin. And he was a prophet for, for pay. Gold was his God and money was his idol. So he sent some pagan women uh, to the camp where all the Jewish men were and uh, encouraged those women to seduce the men and, and sleep with them and then eventually introduce them uh, to their own idols. So for Balaam and for these false teachers, ministry is all about making money. It's not about caring for God's people. It's using religion for financial gain, for personal achievement and status and success. And whereas the example of Cain teaches us that these false teachers are marked by hate, here the example of Balaam teaches us that these false teachers are marked by greed. They're marked by greed. And then the third thing Jude says here in verse 8 is that they perished in Korah's rebellion. Now Korah was a Levite in the Old Testament, a priest of the priestly tribe, and he rebelled against God's appointed leaders. He rejected the spiritual authority of Moses. He rejected the spiritual authority of Aaron, and he led a revolt against these two leaders. And as a result, God destroyed him, and God destroyed all of his followers. So Jude is showing us here that these false teachers are not only marked by hate and greed, but they're marked by pride also. Like Korah, these false believers were revolting against the leadership of the apostles and the leadership of the church pastors and elders. They were setting themselves up in opposition. And like Korah, these men in Jude's day were a law unto themselves, which means like Korah, they too are going to perish. And Jude says, beware the wolves. They're destined for total defeat. Beware the wolves, they disregard divine authority and they're morally depraved. They're marked by hate and greed and pride. And then verses 12 to 16, Jude reveals a final distinguishing feature of these false teachers and that's this, they are masters of deception. They are masters of deception. Look at verse 12. Jude just, in verse 12 and 13, just starts giving one after the other how these guys really are. He says, these, talking about these, these false teachers, these are hidden, feet, hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. See, Jude here is using all these word pictures to describe just how empty, just how deceptive these false teachers really are, right? They're hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast on you without fear. He's saying that these false teachers are like submerged reefs right underneath the surface of the water. And, and these false teachers are going to shipwreck anybody who gives them an ear and listens to them. Their message is dangerous. 
That's what Judas is telling us there. Their message is dangerous. And then he also says that they're like shepherds feeding themselves, right? They cared nothing for the saints. These false prophets, false teachers were like shepherds who refused to feed the sheep, but didn't worry about feeding themselves. They were content. They were fed. Instead of looking after others' needs, a false teacher only is concerned for his own needs, his own well-being. Instead of leading others to safety and security, false teachers lead them astray. Their motives are selfish. Their message is dangerous and their motives are utterly selfish. And then Jude says that they're like waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted. So here Jude is saying that these false teachers are all talk, no action. They promise a lot, but they deliver very, very little. Their promises are empty, right? They may even look good, like colorful trees in the fall, but they're spiritually barren. They are dead inside, like clouds that fail to deliver much-needed rainfall, like trees that fail to yield fruit. All that these false teachers promise is shallow and empty. Their message is dangerous, their motives are selfish, and their promises are empty. Verse 13, he goes on and compares them to wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. See, Jude's really driving home the point that we need to beware of these false teachers because they truly are masters of deception. He says here that they're like wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. In other words, their ways are shameful, right? Like wild waves that that make a lot of noise as they thrash about these false teachers relentlessly and, and, and restlessly and loudly spew their false teaching. And just as the waves, as, as, they, as they begin to roll and you have all that foam on the top that carries all the junk from the ocean to the beach, that's what Jude is saying here. He said all their junk is eventually going to get washed ashore in the foam and all their shame will be exposed. And then Jude also says that they are like wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So here he's saying that their walk is aimless. Their walk is aimless. These teachers are like shooting stars. They're here one second and then they're gone the next. They appear bright for a few moments in the sky, but they shoot across the sky and they disappear into utter darkness. And just then as shooting stars offer no direction, offer no light, these false teachers are just as useless. They provide no direction. They provide no consistency. They provide no purpose, they provide no reliability. They're people of terrible character with a horrible destiny. So their message is dangerous, their motives are selfish, their promises are empty, their ways are shameful, and their walk is aimless. Then Jude goes on to cite another Jewish source to reiterate the the reality that the ungodly stand condemned before God. Verses 14 and 15. He says it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, 
saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. See how many times he's using that, that word ungodly there? See, Jude's reminding his readers that God's judgment is certain for the ungodly. It's certain. It's happening. You can guarantee it, right? These false teachers are nothing special. They're ungodly like the rest of the people who are ungodly, who are separated from Christ, who are lost in sin and darkness. Then Jude goes on and he closes this little section in verse 16. And in verse 16, he gives us a few more indicators of who these false teachers are, of what to look for when you're trying to identify these false teachers and, and their deceptive ways. So he already showed us that their message is dangerous, their motives are selfish, their promises are empty, their ways are shameful, and their walk is aimless. And now he adds to that in verse 16. He says, these, these false teachers, are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. So Jude says about these people, he says that they're grumblers and malcontents. In other words, he's saying that their attitudes are thankless. They speak harshly against God and his ways and they grumble, they complain. Right, just like the, the Israelites in the wilderness, they find fault with God, always griping, always grumbling, always complaining. They're critical. They're negative. They're finding fault in everyone and in everything except themselves. And he calls them then loudmouth boasters. So their attitudes are thankless. And now he says that they're loudmouth boasters. So not only are their attitudes thankless, but their words are boastful. Their speech is boastful. They're big talkers who say more about themselves than they say about the word of God. They portray themselves as the hero of every story and they show themselves to be spiritually superior. And then they also show favoritism to gain advantage. Their words are loud and boastful, but their whispers are manipulative. Their whispers are manipulative. They find an easy target in those who are biblically illiterate and theologically immature. They're experts in flattery in order to take advantage of those who are gullible and those who are unsuspecting. In other words, these false teachers are good at finding itching ears and telling people what they want to hear and how to make them feel good. And to all of this, Jude would caution us, beware the wolves. Beware the wolves, for they're destined for total defeat. So let's beware the wolves. Let's make sure we're listening, reading, watching those who believe, not those who unbelieve, not those who who, who disbelieve, those who follow God not those who rebel against him, those who's, who, who are moral and live morally upright, Christ-like lives, not those who are immoral. Because we know that unbelief ends in destruction, rebellion ends in judgment, immorality ends in punishment. 
Then Jude says, beware the wolves for they disregard divine authority. It means we need to pay extra careful attention when we're listening to or reading or watching somebody who says they had a dream or a vision and this is what God showed them and it's outside scripture. Beware those people. Beware the ones who defile their bodies, not taking seriously the sexual ethic that God puts forward in the scriptures. Be careful, be wary of those who despise authority. They're always at odds with the leaders in the church, always at odds with the plain meaning of scripture. Beware of those who drip with ignorance. And then Jude says, beware the wolves, for they are morally depraved. They're marked by hate. They're marked by greed. They're marked by pride. Watch out for those. And beware the wolves, for they are masters of deception. Don't follow them. Their message is dangerous. Their motives are completely selfish. Everything they promise is shallow and empty. All the ways that they walk are utterly shameful. And, and, and their, their path is, is aimless. They have no purpose, no direction. Their attitudes are thankless. They grumble, they complain. They boast and, and, and talk better about themselves and build themselves up. But then one-on-one, they're going to manipulate you. Now next week, we're going to learn how to contend. As Pastor Dave continues um, with our third uh, sermon in Jude next week. So next week's all learning how we contend. So, and this week is all about identifying those wolves, being able to identify them and be equipped by God to contend for the faith, the faith that is completed, the faith that we have in the content of the 66 books of the Bible. So I want to close with just reading a few verses in Romans 3. Because if you've been led astray, if you are being led astray, or you may even be one of those false teachers that Jude writes about, there's grace, there's redemption, no matter where you are on that spectrum. Listen to Romans 3, because the, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross, so we're all in need of God's saving grace through Christ. Paul writes this in Romans 3. He says, there's no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the remedy for all of this is really simple. It's put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. So would you stand as I close us in prayer and then as we close with a song of worship. And Father, we thank you that you are just. Lord, we acknowledge that without your mercy, your justice would just crush us. 
Lord, but we celebrate the fact that you are a merciful God, that you are a gracious God. And Lord, that ultimately your desire is for every single person to turn away from whatever lies and uh, falsities they're believing and to turn toward Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, thank you that you've given us such uh, clear direction and clear warnings in your scripture. Lord, help us to use discernment. Enable us with your discernment to, um, to beware of all the traps around us, to beware those wolves, those false teachers who will try to um, take our eyes off the cross and take our eyes off of Jesus and put them elsewhere. Lord, may we never forget that the entirety of our Christian life is all about Christ. Lord, I thank you for the elders and leaders and teachers that you've given to Bayside. Lord, thank you for their commitment to the truth, for their commitment to honor Christ in all they say, they say all they teach. And Lord, I pray for anybody in here who has yet to experience that glorious taste of salvation, Lord, that um, even throughout the next song that they do that, Lord, and for those of us who are your children, Lord, that, that as saints, we would sing and proclaim loudly that you, by your grace, have given us a new name. And Lord, that you've given us a new identity, that you are the I am, and who you are and what you say about us are some of the most important things. Lord, help us to keep that ever-present in our minds. And we worship you now and pray all these things in the name of our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.